0: section 10 of the rover this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by john karens naperville illinois the rover by joseph conrad chapter 10 it was only after reaching the level ground in front of the farmhouse that peril took time to pause and resume his contact with the exterior world while he had been closeted with his prisoner the sky had got covered with a thin layer of cloud in one of those swift changes of weather that are not unusual in the mediterranean this gray vapor drifting high up close against the disk of the sun seemed to enlarge the space behind its veil add to the vastness of a shadowless world no longer hard and brilliant but all softened in the contours of its masses and in the faint line of the horizon as if ready to dissolve in the immensity of the infinite familiar and indifferent to his eyes material and shadowy the extent of the changeable sea had gone pale under the pale sun in a mysterious and emotional response mysterious too was the great oval patch of dark water to the west and also a broad blue lane traced on the dull silver of the waters in a parabolic curve described magistrally by an invisible finger for a symbol of endless wandering the face of the farmhouse might have been the face of a house from which all the inhabitants had fled suddenly in the high part of the building the window of the lieutenant's room remained open both glass and shutter by the door of the salle the stable fork leaning against the wall seemed to have been forgotten by the sans-culotte this aspect of abandonment struck perol with more force than usual he had been thinking so hard of all these people that to find no one about seemed unnatural and even depressing he had seen many abandoned places in his life grass huts mud forts kings palaces temples from which every white-robed soul had fled temples however never looked quite empty the gods clung to their own peril's eyes rested on the bench against the wall of the sal in the usual course of things it should have been occupied by the lieutenant who had the habit of sitting there with hardly a movement for hours like a spider watching the coming of a fly this paralyzing comparison held peril motionless with a twisted mouth and a frown on his brow before the evoked vision colored and precise of the man more troubling than the reality had ever been he came to himself with a start what sort of occupation was this cre nom de nom staring at a silly bench with no one on it was he going wrong in his head or was it that he was getting really old he had noticed old men losing themselves like that but he had something to do first of all he had to go to see what the english sloop in the pass was doing while he was making his way towards the lookout on the hill where the inclined pine hung peering over the cliff as if an insatiable curiosity were holding it in that precarious position peril had another view from above of the farmyard and of the buildings and was again affected by their deserted appearance not a soul not even an animal seemed to have been left only on the roofs the pigeons walked with smart elegance parole hurried on and presently saw the english ship well over the Porcarol side with her yards braced up and her head to the southward there was a little wind in the pass while the dull silver of the open had a darkling rim of rippled water far away to the east in that quarter where far or near but mostly out of sight the british fleet kept its endless watch not a shadow of a spar or gleam of sail on the horizon betrayed its presence but peril would not have been surprised to see a crowd of ships surge up people the horizon with hostile life come in running and dot the sea with their ordered groups all about cape Cece, parading their damn impudence then indeed that corvette the big factor of everyday life on that stretch of coast would become very small potatoes indeed and the man in command of her He had been peril's personal adversary in many imaginary encounters, fought to a finish in the room upstairs, then, indeed, that Englishman would have to mind his steps. He would be ordered to come within hail of the Admiral, be sent here and there, made to run like a little dog, and, as likely as not, get called on board the flagship and get a dressing-down for something or other her thought for a moment that the impudence of this englishman was going to take the form of running along the peninsula and looking into the very cove for the corvette's head was falling off slowly a fear for his tartan clutched payroll's heart till he remembered that the englishman did not know of her existence of course not his cudgel had been absolutely effective in stopping that bit of information The only Englishman who knew of the existence of the tartan was that fellow with the broken head. Peril actually laughed at his momentary scare. Moreover, it was evident that the Englishman did not mean to parade in front of the peninsula. He did not mean to be impudent. The sloop's yards were slung right round and she came again to the wind, but now heading to the northward back from where she came. Peril saw at once that the Englishman meant to pass to the windward of Cape Esterel, probably with the intention of anchoring for the night off the long white beach, which, in a regular curve, closes the roadstead of here on that side. Peril pictured her to himself on that clouded night, not so very dark, since the full moon was but a day old, lying at anchor within hail of the low shore, with her sails furled and looking profoundly asleep but with the watch on the deck lying by the guns he gnashed his teeth it had come to this at last the captain of the amelia could do nothing with his ship without putting peril into a rage oh for forty brothers or sixty picked ones he thought to teach the fellow what it might cost him taking liberties along the french coast ships had been carried by a surprise before on nights when there was just light enough to see the whites of each other's eyes in a close tussle and what would be the crew of that englishman something between ninety and a hundred altogether boys and lancemen included peril shook his fist for a good-bye just when cape Estrel shut off the english sloop from his sight but in his heart of hearts that seaman of cosmopolitan associations knew very well that no forty or sixty, not any given hundred brothers of the coast, would have been enough to capture that corvette. Making herself at home, within ten miles of where he had first opened his eyes to the world, he shook his head dismally at the Leaning Pine, his only companion. The disinherited soul of that rover, ranging for so many years a lawless ocean with the coasts of two continents for our raiding-ground had come back to its crag, circling like a sea-bird in the dusk and longing for a great sea-victory for its people, that inland multitude of which Peril knew nothing except the few individuals on that peninsula cut off from the rest of the land by the dead water of a salt lagoon, and where only a strain of manliness in a miserable cripple and an unaccountable charm of a half-crazed woman had found response in his heart. This scheme... false dispatches was but a detail in a plan for a great a destructive victory just a detail but not a trifle all the same nothing connected with the deception of an admiral could be called trifling and such an admiral too it was peril felt vaguely a scheme that only a confounded landsman would invent. he behooved the sailors however to take a workable thing of it it would have to be worked through that corvette and here peril was brought up by the question that all his life had not been able to settle for him and that was whether the english were really very stupid or very acute that difficulty had presented itself with every fresh case the old rover had enough genius in him to have arrived at a general conclusion that if they were to be deceived at all it could not be done very well by words but rather by deeds not by mere wriggling but by deep craft concealed under some sort of straightforward action that conviction however did not take him forward in this case which was one in which much thinking would be necessary the amelia had disappeared behind cape esterol and peril wondered with a certain anxiety whether this meant that the englishman had given up his man for good if he has said peril to himself i am bound to see him pass out again from beyond cape esterol before it gets dark if however he did not see the ship again within the next hour or two then she would be anchored off the beach to wait the night before making some attempt to discover what had become of her man this could be done only by sending out one or two boats to explore the coast and no doubt to enter the cove perhaps even to land a small search party after coming to this conclusion peril began deliberately to charge his pipe had he spared a moment for a glance inland he might have caught a whisk of a black shirt, the gleam of a white fichu. Arlette, running down the faint track leading from Escampabar to the village in the hollow, the same track, in fact, up which Citizen Sivola, while indulging in the strange freak to visit the church, had been chased by the incensed faithful. But Perol, while charging and lighting his pipe, had kept his eyes fastened on Cape Esterel, then throwing his arm affectionately over the trunk of his pipe he had settled himself to watch far below him the roadstead with its play of grey and bright gleams looked like a plaque of of mother-of-pearl in a frame of yellow rocks and dark green ravines set off inland by the masses of the hills displaying the tint of the finest purple while above his head the sun behind a cloud veil hung like a silver disc that afternoon after waiting in vain for lieutenant real to appear outside in the usual way arlette the mistress of escampabar had gone unwillingly into the kitchen where catherine sat upright in a heavy capacious wooden armchair, the back of which rose above the top of her white muslin cap even in her old age even in her hours of ease catherine preserved the upright carriage of the family that had held escampabar for many generations It would have been easy to believe that, like some characters famous in the world, Catherine would have wished to die standing up and with unbowed shoulders. With her sense of hearing undecayed, she detected the light footsteps in the cell long before Arlette entered the kitchen. That woman, who had faced alone and unaided, except for her brother's comprehending silence, the anguish of passion and forbidden love and of terrors comparable to those of the judgment day, neither turned her face, quiet with serenity, nor her eyes, fearless but without fire, in the direction of her niece. Arlette glanced on all sides, even at the walls, even at the mound of ashes under the big overmantel, nursing in its heart a spark of fire, before she sat down and leaned her elbow on the table. You wander about like a soul in pain, said her aunt, sitting by the hearth, like an old queen on her throne. And you sit here eating your heart out. Formerly, remarked Catherine, old women like me could always go over their prayers, but now, I believe you have not been to church for years. I remember Sivola telling me that a long time ago. Was it because you didn't like people's eyes? I have fancied sometimes that most people in the world must have been massacred long ago. Catherine turned her face away. Arlette rested her head on her half closed hand and her eyes losing their steadiness began to tremble amongst cruel visions she got up suddenly and caressed the thin half-averted withered cheek with the tips of her fingers and in a low voice with that marvelous cadence that plucked at one's heartstrings she said coaxingly those were dreams weren't they in her immobility the old woman called with all the might of her will for the presence of peril she had never been able to shake off a superstitious fear of that niece restored to her from the terrors of a judgment day in which the world had been given over to the devils she was always afraid that this girl wandering about with restless eyes and a dim smile on her silent lips would suddenly say something atrocious unfit to be heard calling for vengeance from heaven unless peril were by that stranger come from pardella les murs was out of it altogether Cared probably for no one in the world, but had struck her imagination by his massive aspect. His deliberation, suggesting a mighty force, like the reposeful attitude of a lion, Arlette desisted from caressing the irresponsive cheek, exclaimed petulantly, I'm awake now, and went out of the kitchen, without having asked her aunt the question she had meant to ask, which was whether she knew what had become of the lieutenant her heart had failed her she let herself drop on the bench outside the door of the cell what is the matter with them all she thought i can't make them out what wonder is it that i have not been able to sleep even peril so different from all mankind who from the first moment when he stood before her had the powers to soothe her aimless unrest even peril would now sit for hours with the lieutenant on the bench gazing into the air and keeping him in talk about things without sense as if on purpose to prevent him from thinking of her well he could not do that but the enormous change implied in the fact that every day had a tomorrow now and that all the people around her had ceased to be mere phantoms for her wandering glances to glide over without concern made her feel the need of support from somebody from somewhere She could have cried aloud for it. She sprang up and walked along the whole front of the farm building. At the end of the wall, enclosing the orchard, she called out in a modulated undertone, Eugene, not because she hoped that the lieutenant was anywhere within earshot, but for the pleasure of hearing the sound of the name, uttered for once, above a whisper. She turned about and at the end of the wall on the yard side, she repeated her call, drinking in the sound that came from her lips. Eugene! Eugene! With a sort of half-exalting despair, it was in such dizzy moments that she wanted a steadying support. But all was still. She heard no friendly murmur, not even a sigh. Above her head, under the thin gray sky of a big mulberry tree, stirred no leaf. Step by step, as if unconsciously, she began to move down the track at the end of fifty yards she opened the inland view the roofs of the village between the green tops of the platanes overshadowing the fountain and just beyond the flat blue-gray level of the salt lagoon smooth and dull like a slab of lead but what drew her on was the church tower where in a round arch she could see the black speck of the bell which escaping the requisitions of the republican wars and dwelling mute above the locked-up empty church had only lately recovered its voice she ran on but when she had come near enough to make out the figures moving about the village fountain she checked herself hesitating a moment and then took the footpath leading to the presbytery she pushed open the little gate with the broken latch the humble building of rough stones from between which much mortar had crumbled out looked as though it had been sinking slowly into the ground the beds of the plot in front were choked with weeds because the abbey had no taste for gardening when the heiress of a opened the door, he was walking up and down the largest room, which was his bedroom and sitting-room, and where he also took his meals. He was a gaunt man with a long, as if convulsed face. In his young days he had been tutor to the sons of a great noble, but he did not emigrate with his employer, neither did he submit to the republic. He had lived in his native land like a hunted wild beast and there had been many tales of his activities warlike in others. When the hierarchy was re-established, he found no favor in the eyes of his superiors. He had remained too much of a royalist. He had accepted, without a word, the charge of his miserable parish, where he had acquitted influence quickly enough. His sacerdotalism lay in him like a cold passion. Though accessible enough, he never walked abroad with his breviary, acknowledging the solemnly bared heads by a curt nod he was not exactly feared but some of the oldest inhabitants who remembered the previous incumbent an old man who died in the garden after having been dragged out of bed by some patriots anxious to take him to prison in your jerked their heads sideways in a knowing manner when their cure was mentioned on seeing this apparition in an arlesian cap and silk skirt a white fichu and otherwise as completely different as any princess could be from the rustics with whom he was in daily contact his face expressed the blankest astonishment then for he knew enough of the gossip of his community his straight thick eyebrows came together inimically this was no doubt the woman of whom he had heard his parishioners talk with bated breath as having given herself and her property up to a jacobin a toulon sans culotte who had either delivered her parents to execution or had murdered them himself during the first three days of massacres no one was very sure which it was but the rest was current knowledge the abbey though persuaded that any amount of moral turpitude was possible in a godless country had not accepted all that tale literally no doubt those people were republican and impious and the state of affairs up there was scandalous and horrible he struggled with his feelings of repulsion and managed to soothe his brow and waited he could not imagine what that woman with mature form and a youthful face, could want at the presbytery. Suddenly it occurred to him that perhaps she wanted to thank him. It was a very old occurrence, for interposing between the fury of the villagers and that man, he couldn't call him, even in his thoughts, her husband, for apart from all other circumstances, that connection could not imply any kind of marriage to a priest. Had even there been a legal form observed, his visitor was apparently disconcerted by the expression of his face the austere aloofness of his attitude and only a low murmur escaped her lips he bent his head and was not very certain what he had heard you come to seek my aid he asked in a doubting tone she nodded slightly and the abbey went to the door she had left half open and looked out there was not a soul in sight between the presbytery and the village and between the presbytery and the church He went back to face her saying we are as alone as we can well be the old woman in the kitchen is as deaf as a post now that he had been looking at arlette closer the abbey felt a sort of dread the carmine of those lips the pellucid unstained unfathomable blackness of those eyes the pallor of her cheeks suggested to him something provokingly pagan, something distastefully different from the common sinners of this earth. And now she was ready to speak. He arrested her with a raised hand. Wait, he said. I have never seen you before. I don't even know properly who you are. None of you belong to my flock, for you are from Escamabar, are you not? Somber under their bony arches, his eyes fastened on her face. Notice the delicacy of features, the knave, pertinacity of her stare she said i am the daughter the daughter oh i see much evil is spoken of you she said a little impatiently by that rabble and the priest remained mute for a moment what do they say in my father's time they wouldn't have dared to say anything the only thing i saw of them for years and years was when they were yelping like curs on the heels of Sivola the absence of scorn in her tone was perfectly annihilating gentle sounds flowed from her lips and a disturbing charm from her strange equanimity the abbey frowned heavily at these fascinations which seemed to have in them something diabolic they are simple souls neglected fallen back into darkness it isn't their fault but they have natural feelings of humanity which were outraged i saved him from their indignation there are things that must be left to divine justice he was exasperated by the unconsciousness of that fair face that man whose name you have just pronounced and which i have heard coupled with the epithet of blood drinker is regarded as the master of Escampobar farm he has been living there for years how is that yes it is a long time ago since he brought me back to the house years ago katherine let him stay who is katherine the abbey asked harshly. She is my father's sister who was left at home to wait. She had given up all hope of seeing any of us again when one morning Sivola came with me to the door. Then she let him stay. He is a poor creature. What else could Catherine have done? And what is it to us up there how the people in the village regard him? She dropped her eyes and seemed to fall into deep thought, then added, It was only later that i discovered that he was a poor creature, even quite lately. They call him blood-drinker, do they? What of that? All the time he was afraid of his own shadow. She ceased, but did not raise her eyes. You are no longer a child, began the abbey in a severe voice, frowning at her downcast eyes, and he heard a murmur, not very long. He disregarded it and continued, I ask you, is this all that you have to tell me about that man? I hope that at least you are no hypocrite. Monsieur le abbe, she said, raising her eyes fearlessly, what more am I to tell you about him? I can tell you things that will make your hair stand on end, but it wouldn't be about him. For all answer, the abbe made a wary gesture and turned away to walk up and down the room. His face expressed neither curiosity nor pity, but a sort of repugnance from which he made an effort to overcome. He dropped into a deep and shabby old armchair, the only object of luxury in the room, and pointed to a wooden straight-backed stool. Arlette sat down on it and began to speak. The abbe listened, but looking far away, his big bony hands rested on the arms of the chair. After the first words, he interrupted her. This is your own story you are telling me? Yes, said Arlette. Is it necessary that I should know? Yes, monsieur le abbe. But why? he bent his head a little without however ceasing to look far away her voice now was very low suddenly the abbey threw himself back you want to tell me your story because you have fallen in love with a man no because that has brought me back to myself nothing else could have done it he turned his head to look at her grimly but he said nothing and looked away again he listened at the beginning he muttered once or twice yes i have heard that and then kept silent not looking at her at all once he interrupted her by a question you were confirmed before the convent was forcibly entered and the nuns dispersed yes she said a year before that or more and then two of those ladies took you with them towards toulon yes the other girls had their relations nearby they took me with them thinking to communicate with my parents but it was difficult then the english came and my parents sailed over to try to get some news of me it was safe for my father to be in toulon then perhaps you think that he was a traitor to his country she asked and waited with parted lips with an impassable face the abbey murmured he was a good royalist in a tone of bitter fatalism which seemed to absolve that man and all the other men of whose actions and errors he had ever heard for a long time arlette continued her father could not discover the house where the nuns had taken refuge he only obtained some information on the very day before the english evacuated toulon late in the day he appeared before her and took her away the town was full of retreating foreign troops her father left her with her mother and went out again to make preparations for sailing home that very night but the tartan was no longer in the place where he had left her lying The two Madraga men that he had for a crew had disappeared also. Thus the family was trapped in that town full of tumult and confusion. Ships and houses were bursting into flames. Appalling explosions of gunpowder shook the earth. She spent that night on her knees with her face hidden in her mother's lap, while her father kept watch by the barricaded door with a pistol in each hand. In the morning... The house was filled with savage yells people were heard rushing up the stairs and the door was burst in she jumped up at the crash and flung herself down on her knees in a corner with her face to the wall there was a murderous uproar she heard two shots fired then somebody seized her by the arm and pulled her up to her feet it was Sivola. he dragged her to the door the bodies of her father and mother were lying across the doorway the room was full of gunpowder smoke She wanted to fling herself on the bodies and cling to them, but Sivola took her under the arms and lifted her over them. He seized her hand and made her run with him, or rather, dragged her downstairs. Outside, on the pavement, some dreadful men and many fierce women with knives joined them. They ran along the streets, brandishing pikes and sabers, pursuing other groups of unarmed people who fled round corners with loud shrieks i ran in the midst of them monsieur le abbey arlette went on in a breathless murmur whenever i saw any water i wanted to throw myself into it but i was surrounded on all sides i was jostled and pushed and most of the time Sivola held my hand very tight when they stopped at a wine-shop they would offer me some wine my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth as i drank the wine the pavements the arms and faces everything was red i had red splashes all over me i had to run with them all day and all the time i felt as if i were falling down and down and down the houses were nodding at me the sun would go out at times and suddenly i heard myself yelling exactly like the others do you understand monsieur la abbe the very same words the eyes of the priest in their deep orbits glided towards her and then resumed their far-away fixity between his fatalism and his faith he was not very far from the belief of Satan taking possession of a rebellious mankind, exposing the nakedness of hearts like flint and of the homicidal souls of the revolution. I have heard something of that, he whispered stealthily. She affirmed with quiet earnestness, yet at that time I resisted with all my might. That night Sivola put her under the care of a woman called Perose. She was young and pretty, and was a native of Arles, her mother's country she kept an inn that woman locked her up in her own room which was next to the room where the patriots kept on shouting singing and making speeches far into the night several times the woman would look in for a moment make a hopeless gesture at her with both arms and vanish again later on many other nights when all the band lay asleep on benches and on the floor perose would steal into the room fall on her knees by the bed on which arlette sat upright open-eyed and raving silently to herself embrace her feet and cry herself to sleep but in the morning she would jump up briskly and say come the great affair is to keep our life in our bodies come along to help in the work of justice and they would join the band that was making ready for another day of traitor hunting but after a time the victims of which the streets were full at first had to be sought for in backyards, ferreted out for their hiding-places, dragged up out of the cellars or down from garrets of the houses, which would be entered by the band with howls of death and vengeance. Then, Monsieur Abbey said Arlette, I let myself go at last. I could resist no longer. I said to myself, if it is so, then it must be right. But most of the time I was like a person, half asleep and dreaming things that it was impossible to believe. About that time, I don't know why, the woman, Perose, hinted to me that Sivola was a poor creature. Next night, while all the band lay fast asleep in the big room, Perose and Sivola helped me out of the window into the street and led me to the quay behind the arsenal. Sivola had found our tartan lying at the pontoon and one of the Madrago men with her the other had disappeared perose fell on my neck and cried a little she gave me a kiss and said my time will come soon you civola don't you show yourself in toulon because nobody believes in you any more adieu arlette viva la nation and she vanished in the night i waited on the pontoon shivering in my torn clothes listening to civola and the men throwing dead bodies overboard out of the tartan splash 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 and suddenly i felt i must run away but they were after me in a moment dragged me back and threw me down into the cabin which smelled of blood but when i got back to the farm all feeling had left me i did not feel myself exist i saw things round me here and there but i couldn't look at anything for long something was gone out of me i know now that it was not my heart but then i didn't mind what it was i felt light and empty and a little cold all the time. But I could smile at people. Nothing could matter. Nothing could mean anything. I cared for no one. I wanted nothing. I wasn't alive at all, Monsieur Abbe. People seemed to me, and would talk to me, and it seemed funny, till one day I felt my heart beat. Why precisely did you come to me with this tale? asked the Abbe in a low voice. Because you are a priest. Have you forgotten that I have been brought up in a convent? i have not forgotten how to pray but i am afraid of the world now what must i do repent thundered the abbey getting up he saw her candid gaze uplifted and lowered his voice forcibly you must look with fearless sincerity into the darkness of your soul remember whence the only true help can come those whom god has visited by a trial such as yours cannot be held guiltless of their enormities withdraw from the world descend within yourself and abandon The vain thoughts of what people call happiness be an example to yourself of the sinfulness of our nature and of the weakness of our humanity you may have been possessed what do i know perhaps it was permitted in order to lead your soul to saintliness through a life of seclusion and prayer to that it would be my duty to help you meantime you must pray to be given strength for a complete renunciation arlette lowering her eyes slowly appealed to the abbey as a symbolic figure of spiritual mystery what can be god's design on this creature he asked himself monsieur le cure she said quietly i felt the need to pray today for the first time in many years when i left home it was only to go to your church the church stands open to the worst of sinners said the abbey i know but I would have had to pass before all those villagers, and you, Abby, you know well what they are capable of, perhaps, murmured Abbe it would be better not to put their charity to the test. I must pray before I go back again. I thought you would let me come in through the sacristy. It would be inhuman to refuse your request, he said, rousing himself and taking down a key that hung on the wall. He put on his broad-brimmed hat and, without a word, led the way through the wicket-gate, and along the path which he always used himself and which was out of the sight of the village fountain after they had entered the damp and dilapidated sacristy, he locked the door behind them and only then opened another a smaller one leading into the church when he stood aside arlette became aware of the chilly odor as of freshly turned-up earth mingled with a faint scent of incense in the deep dusk of the nave a single little flame glimmered before an image of the virgin the abbey whispered as she passed on there before the great altar abase yourself and pray for grace and strength and mercy in the world full of crimes against god and men she did not look at him through the thin soles of her shoes she could feel the chill of the flagstones the abbey left the door ajar sat down on a rush bottomed chair the only one in the sacristy folded his arms and let his chin fall on his breast he seemed to be sleeping profoundly but at the end of half an hour he got up and going to the doorway stood looking at the kneeling figure sunk low on the altar steps arlette's face was buried in her hands in a passion of piety and prayer the abbey waited patiently for a good many minutes more before he raised his voice in a grave murmur which filled the whole dark place it is time for you to leave i am going to ring for vespers THE VIEW OF HER COMPLETE ABSORPTION BEFORE THE MOST HIGH HAD TOUCHED HIM. HE STEPPED BACK INTO THE sacristy AND AFTER A TIME HEARD THE FAINTEST POSSIBLE SWISH OF THE BLACK SILK SKIRT OF THE Escampabar DAUGHTER IN HER ARLESIAN COSTUME. HE ENTERED THE sacristy LIGHTLY WITH SHINING EYES AND THE ABBEY LOOKED AT HER WITH SOME EMOTION. YOU HAVE PRAYED WELL, MY DAUGHTER, HE SAID. NO FORGIVENESS WILL BE REFUSED TO YOU. YOU HAVE SUFFERED MUCH. PUT YOUR TRUST IN THE GRACE OF GOD. She raised her head and stayed her footsteps for a moment. In the dark little place, he could see the gleam of her eyes, swimming in tears. Yes, Monsieur Le Habe, she said in her clear, seductive voice, I have prayed and I feel answered. I entreated the merciful God to keep the heart of the man I love always true to me, or else to let me die before I set my eyes on him again. The Abbey paled under his tan of a village priest and leaned his shoulders against the wall without a word. End of section ten. Recording by John Carence, Naperville, Illinois